If you had a company that had hit 165 million in revenue called eBags. We're losing over a million dollars a month. And then the dot bomb, we had to cut our marketing expense by 80, over 80%. We became one of the very first profitable dot coms on the whole internet ecosystem. Today on the show, I'm happy to have John Nordmark. He's the CEO of Iterate AI, Dream Big, Build Fast. Previous to this, you had a company that had hit 165 million in revenue called eBags. What happened there? It started out burning a million a month. We raised a lot of money. It was back in the dot-com heyday, back in the late 90s. We raised $30 million, uh, but we were in a position where it grew at all costs. You lost a lot to grow as fast as you could. We did that. Uh, got to $25 million in revenue pretty fast, but we we're losing over a million dollars a month. And, and then the dot-bomb hit, and that started in about the year 2000. Uh, we couldn't raise money anymore, and it was either we had to get to profitability as fast as possible or basically lose everybody's job. hundred jobs go away overnight. So what we did was we had to cut every failing marketing expense. And thankfully, we had built something called a burn rate control center, BRCC is what we called it internally, and it measured all the different marketing activities we did. And we built this all from scratch because at the time there was no code library that we have today available. We cut every mark. We had to cut our marketing expense by 80, over 80%. I think it was 81%. We had to, we, we ended up laying off uh, 25% of the workforce, which was incredibly painful. Talk about failure is a personal failure, like from my position. Uh, but we also, as we're cutting back like that, we had to grow by over 40% to get to profitability based on all our financial projections. And we succeeded. It, it worked. <laughs> and we became one of the very first profitable dot-coms on the whole internet ecosystem. So eventually you got an exit on that business. Can you talk us through what that was like? Yeah, we got a, it was a little over a hundred million dollar exit. We actually had three chances to be acquired along the way, three good ones. And what I learned in that process was we had a lot of venture capital funding, which is very, we needed it. And it's very important for certain companies, but what I also realized is once you become part of a venture portfolio, your own individual company doesn't really matter that much. It's how you compare within the whole portfolio. We came through funds that went through that dot-bomb period. So most of the companies were imploding and dying, which put a lot of pressure on our company to make up for what other companies were as they were all falling apart. So the venture firms did not want an exit at hundred million dollars or 158. And it may put a lot of pressure on us. Anyway, we said no to a number of opportunities early on, uh, that were good. Uh, we ended up selling it for less money than we could have done it for two, uh, 10 years prior to that, uh, based on the conversations we were having. But anyway, we did in the very end, sell it to, uh, the company that I left to start eBags. And that was Samsonite, a luggage company. It's, a, it's the biggest luggage company in the world based over in, I think it's in Hong Kong today. Used to be in the U.S. What did Samsonite end up doing with eBags? They had their own plans. So eBags had, what eBags did that was really unique, it wasn't just a website. We drop shipped from, in the end, it was over 1,000 warehouses around Europe and the United States. And we're able to get very high customer satisfaction rates. And we had a, a 59 uh, net promoter score, which is really high. Uh, Apple's right around 60 or, you know, low sixties. Uh, most companies are, are 
in the zero range, zero to 20. And we were up in that 60 range. But we did that without controlling all these shipping uh, points. And, and we'd ship millions of bags a year. We, we did 25 million by the time it was sold. So anyway, when Samson had acquired the company, we had about a thousand different brands on the website. They've cut it back to about eight. It's the ones they own today. So imagine the SKU count, the number of products sold went from a thousand. So it changes the tipping like You don't have, in the SEO world, we had a hundred thousand doorways into the web. We'd get 5 million visitors a month shopping on the website. Very high conversion rate. But now today, I, I'm not privy to all the numbers, but I do know that the traffic is about 95. It looks about 95% lower than what it was. I'm sure their sales are good on their products because they're focused on Samsung, American Tourist, or Toomey, eBags brand, the brands that they own. But it's just a completely different company at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't close 100,000 doors. <laughs> and it all, it all comes down to the strategy of the company. And in this case, they bought it, I think, to just be their asset and remove any competitor from the website. But I... Me too. Like I wouldn't either because I, it's completely different than what it was when I was there, but I'm very happy where it landed. Samsonite, they love the bag business and that's what it is. It's a bag business. Yeah. And they're the biggest company in the world. So what in selling back. So yeah. What inspired the move into the AI scene? When I was at eBags, I worked with a lot of software companies. We were always first. What we were known for was testing new technologies really fast. If you went and asked someone else in retail, who was like Smoover back in the year, in the years 2002, three, four, five, they would say that eBags was the place that tested everything. If you were working in a large company, you might call eBags and ask them, how did Yoda perform? How did Indeca perform? How did uh, LiveClicker perform? These are solutions built by third-party startups. Anyway, as I got to know a lot of the people that were building these companies and became friends with them, I decided the next startup I do is going to be software. It's not going to be a retail company. I don't know why. They're both hard, <laughs> but nothing's easy. Lots of failures along the way. However, I'm really thankful I've gotten into software the way I have because the partner that I happened to partner with, the guy named Brian Sathy and Anthony, is a genius on the software development side. And he comes out of Apple secret products. Uh, I met him over in Kiev in the Ukraine where we were to, working together on a, basically a tech stars lookalike for Eastern Europe. And when he and I decided to build this company, I got a partner who's like a software genius. Our team, he came out of Apple, out of the secret products area. He, he has patents on the very first iPhone. He was in that little group that built the very first iPhone. He was the, in an, in an inventor in that group. And three of the guys out of that division are part of Iterate. And they surrounded themselves with similar people. So they are uh, all kind of fanatics on the AI, in the AI space. And, and we've attracted other people that are that way too. That's how I got there. I'm not a software guy. I'm the most, mostly just the business people who loves the people that write the software. And, and I've got good partners. Good team. So Iterate has been around for close to a decade now. Yeah. What have you ended up focusing on? We're very different from eBags. And the eBags was, there was a plan in the beginning. We were going to sell bags online and it never changed. Like now the methods for selling, we went through a lot of failed marketing distribution channels, a lot of successful ones. 
but the end vision never changed. With Iterate, I guess the, the end vision is to help the enterprise with software, but we've changed a lot along the way. And it's, and we've been able to do it because we listen to customer needs as we get customers working with us, like Ulta Beauty or K or a big bank in Asia. We listen to what they need and we build what they need. So the platform, we've got a big, a low-code AI platform today called Interplay. It's super sophisticated. Many patents, we have nice patents granted to that platform and a lot more pending right now. But all those are built after listening to what, all, all those features and everything are built after listening to the customer and their needs. So we've raised very little money for Interplay. It's for, for Iterate itself. It's it's a net of 2.5 million so far, and our revenues are almost 13 million. That's pretty rare in this space. And, but we've done it because we navigate to the customer needs and we're not navigating to what we told the investors 10 years ago. We're patient. Uh, we build patiently. We build, you know, based on customer needs versus investor needs. And uh, so that's a big difference between Iterate and uh, Evax. It makes do you refer to this approach? Oh, yeah. I love this approach. I, I love DVAX too. I loved that approach. However, there's a point. See, when you get too much money invested in the company, sometimes it feels like it's driven by the money. This company, as eBay's got bigger, I'm, I learned when it started approaching 100 million in revenues, all people wanted to talk about was money. Investors wanted to talk about money instead of the product and what we're building. And so that didn't always feel good to me. But with Iterate, we talk all the time about the product. And guess what? The revenues just come on the, just the value of the company just grows by default. And just because we build great product, we've gotten to where we're at without a salesperson and without any marketing early. And at, at Iterate, which is the opposite of eBags too. And it's nice because it's a different type of pressure. So with eBags, we get a lot of external pressure for growth. With Iterate, it's all self-driven by the people who work here, we all grow just because we want to. Yeah, that's my personal preference to do it that way, grow. You've lived <laughs> in both sides, it's a lot speed nicer to do it this way, <laughs> at least for me. So if any of, what would be your advice to new entrepreneurs going through these multiple ventures? I think get as much traction as you can without money uh, or with your own money. If, if there's any way, do that. Be frugal, be, listen to your customers, be agile. Build into needs. Don't build and then hope people gravitate to you after you build it. Listen really hard. But the reason you want to build a lot before you raise money or anything is because then you can just control the financings and people know what they're getting involved in it. And they're not getting involved so much in a dream and a, and a, a hope. They're getting involved in something that they know is already working. And so get as far as you can with that, as little money as you can. Another thing is pick your founders really care, or co-founders and early employees really carefully. It's hard to do because sometimes really what times you don't, but I, I think a lot of times, um, sometimes a early employee or co-founder may not want to work as hard or they, they have a different set of goals or they, I, I don't know. I've been super lucky for the most part on that front and all my co-founders have been, uh, or most of them have turned out to be just amazing. But I think again, that's really important. There are a bunch of. Another thing is, it's not going to be one thing. I've been asked so many times, like, what's the one thing your company did that helped it succeed? I'm like, there is no one thing. It's like, 
a thousand things. It's there are a thousand things that could have taken us down and there are a thousand things that make this work. And just being a little bit opportunistic, having open ears, meeting as many people as you can, that's good. And yeah, and, and just know that it's a lot of activities over a lot of different periods of time. And there's a lot of luck involved too in making things work, running into the right people, getting the right customer at the right time. A lot of luck. Failure rates are high no. <laughs> in these businesses. And I've been lucky, really lucky twice. And then, well, that luck aspect plays into what you're saying about being opportunistic, because when that lucky break comes, no to take. And that's it. There's that saying, it's not really being lucky, it's being prepared. And, and my wife, she's funny. She's a more of a product manager type person. And she goes by an exact, she's very exacting in what she expects of people and that. And I used to go to meetings, just meet anyone for coffee. And she'd be like, why are you going to meet that person? And I'm like, I, just, I don't really have a purpose. I just want to meet them, chat. And she'd be like, no, you, know, you have to know what you're going to get, what you're going to like. No, that, I've had so many times when there's no expectation that something turns out really good. And it might not even turn out that day or that week. It could be a year or two years later, but it's really just, yeah, it's just making yourself available and, and trying to be good to them too along the way, like helping them along the way. The world's circular. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. for sure. So how can our listeners learn more about Iterate or get in touch? Just go to iterate.ai. It's I-T-E-R-A-T dot A-I. And you can contact us there. My name is John J. Wynn. So John at iterate.ai. You can email me or look me up on LinkedIn. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki. And we'll Thanks, see you Chad. next time. Thank you.